OU Insider, subscribers, Coach Brian Clinton, enthusiasts, Kansas Jayhawks, haters, at least, <laughs> at least, at least for the past few days, uh, cold and sickness haters. You can probably notice I've got a little bit of a uh, an extra twang in my voice. I'm battling a cold, but you know what? We persevere. You know, this is the grind. This is Bedlam week. Brian, we, we can't afford to be sick, but... To everybody else, this is another episode of the Oklahoma Drill fueled by OUinsider.com and the Rivals Network. I am Jesse Crittenden. I am, of course, joined by my co-host, Brian Clinton. Brian, sir, how was it like on the field while it was raining and and all cold in in Lawrence, Kansas on Saturday? As I said, pre-recording our uh, podcast, recapping that game, it was cold. I was wet. And I was sad. (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, I got to sit in the warm press box and I'm the one out of the four of us. I'm the one that got sick. (laughs) That's just how it goes. (laughs) Well, because it wasn't even it wasn't even how cold it was there. It was uh, that room for Brent Venable's postgame press conference was so small. And I got down there late coming down from the press box. So I sat outside for like 30 minutes waiting to get in. And then all the players that was done outside too. Yeah. And then, uh, and then last night at player availability, that was all done outside too. So it's been, God, it's been brutal, man. I could not do what you and Parker do. I could not do it. That post game setup for, for Kansas was, I mean, that's about as bad as it gets. I mean, no, no offense to, to, what they got going on up there in Lawrence, but I, I am excited for them that they've got a new stadium coming because the way that they're having to do things right now is, is uh, it's behind the times. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, it's about the size of a, I don't know, a janitor's closet. (laughs) (laughs) About the size of my office. Yeah. When you've got (laughs) as many beat reporters and, and, and videographers and everybody as Oklahoma does Oklahoma, for those that don't know, for those that don't know, Oklahoma is one of the most covered teams of any sport in the country. It's not just college football. It's so sometimes post-game stuff can be a little insane, but anyways, Brian, the reason why we're talking about all that is first it's bedlam week and there's a lot that comes with that. But the reality is things are a little bit different going into this week and going into this game this weekend that I think a lot of us would have expected because Oklahoma dropped their first game of the season at Kansas. They lost 38 to 33 I think a game that was really frustrating um, for a lot of fans. Um, I think it was frustrating for the players. I think it was frustrating for the coaching staff because the opportunities were there. And there's so many things that you can point to from that game. It's like, well, if that doesn't happen and that doesn't happen and that doesn't happen, or if Oklahoma takes advantage of this opportunity, things are different. But now all of a sudden we went from after the Texas win to thinking, Hey, they could probably finish the season undefeated to all of a sudden, 
when you take the UFC struggles into, into this and now the Kansas loss, things feel a little bit different, but Brian, I know you did a video for our OU insider uh, YouTube channel, kind of breaking down that game, specifically the plays that cost uh, Oklahoma that game after going back, not just on the field, but after going back and rewatching that game, what was your, what was your overall takeaway from it? The first thing, which I'm always a guy to try and put a positive spin on things, regardless of, of the outcome. That's just in my nature. I think that's just going back to being a coach, you try and find a silver lining of some sort. And it was despite, numerous just awful mistakes you know whether it be players coaches missed tackles play calls uh penalties it, it just every you know, there was a lot of things that just messed up oklahoma still somehow had the opportunity to throw into the end zone and win the football game at the end of the, at the end of the day um and i think that that's something you can take away that's I really, I hope, and I'm going to knock on wood here. I don't know how much worse a Brent Venables led football team could play than that. I mean, that was just totally opposite what you have come to expect of a guy that, that just, he, he's always, um, he, he demands perfection from this team. And I, and I, I think that, you know, in the situation, looking back, it almost, it feels like things were just overthought. I, I think there was a lot of things in the moment where, um, whether it be players again or coaches, there was, there was a lot of things where you could just tell that they were thinking too hard. The gears were turning too hard. Um, you didn't have guys just going out there and making plays. Uh, there was hesitation from from defenders um and it was almost like they were more worried about where they should be on the field rather than going and tackling the guy with the football like it just um just little things like that all piled up on them and and uh you know obviously Kansas is good enough to to make you uh, pay for that stuff and when when you've got an athlete like Jason being at quarterback there's just really not a whole lot of room for error when it comes to uh, creating pressure and things of that nature and Oklahoma just didn't do a good job at any of that defensively. Um, so really conservative uh, play calling from from the offensive uh, side of things and just a lackluster performance from the defense. It, it, it culminated in a loss, and there's there's really no way of, of looking at it outside of uh, you just got to be better moving forward. If you do that again this week, you're in trouble. I think that's well for one to go along with what you were saying. What what did we say after the UCF game? If they play, they did enough to win the game, and that's all that matters. But if they play yep. like this again, they will get beat. They'll mm-hmm. probably get beat more than once. And they lost to a better Kansas team, uh, or at least better in the sense of Kansas is better than UCF. But you have to give a lot of credit to Kansas. I think that's one positive you can take away from it is I think it's a lot of little things that added up instead of uh you know one or two big things but Brian you mentioned the conservative play calling there i think that's been the crux of a lot of frustrations for fans and we're going to get into some of the other things um and some of the things that you just touched on but you know I, it's one of those things like you know so Dylan Dylan Gabriel threw that early pick six and that seemed to really spook the play calling i think as a whole Um, When you go back, when you go back and watch that game, Um, I think the weather played a factor. I think Tawi Walker, who all of a sudden the offense genuinely can't function (laughs) with Tawi Walker's not on the field, which can you imagine if I told, if we went back (laughs) eight and a half weeks ago and I told OU fans, 
this offense is going to be in such a state that if Tawi Walker's not on the field, they can't move the ball. What do you, what do you think the reaction was? Kansas, <laughs> it would have been bad. It it's been, kind, yeah. It's kind of been that way for a lot of the year. I mean, outside yeah. of a couple of good Gavin Sawchuck runs against UCF. Mm-hmm. It's been non-existent on the run. Yeah, the run's been non-existent. Well, and we're focusing on the passing game here too, but I think it's a combination of a lot of things. OU was moving the ball well or through the run with, with Tawi Walker, uh, who had 146 yards, averaged over six yards per carry, really good performance. Uh, but when he went down in the fourth quarter, oh, you didn't really have anywhere else to turn. But I, I was looking at the stats, uh, Brian, kind of to what you were just saying about conservative play calling. I mean, I mean, for one, Dylan Gabriel only had 12 passing attempts before that final drive. Only 12. He finished with 19, which is a, which is a season low um, by far. He finished with a season low in passing yards, which is 171. And I was going through the pro football focus data about the the average depth of target. Where were those passes going? Before the final drive, Dylan Gabriel had only thrown two passes of 10 or more yards before that final drive. And OU had four passing plays of over 15 yards or more. Three of them came on that final drive. That means before that final drive, only one passing play. That doesn't mean the ball went 15 yards in the air. That means the passing play, like the total yardage was was 15 yards or more. And, you know, they kind of said that the weather played a factor into that. Um, But Brian, Jason Bean, he threw 15 passes beyond 10 yards or more. He threw five beyond 20 or more. Mm -hmm. So that didn't stop Jason Bean from being, from being aggressive. The weather didn't stop him from doing that. So I guess asking you after going back to watch the film, is it, is it conservative? You know, actually, the numbers are kind of similar to the UCF game too. We kind of saw a lack of explosive plays. Is it is it missing Angela Anthony? Is it just Jeff Levy overthinking things? Is it try? Is it not finding that proper balance between the pass and the run? Did the Kansas defense do anything? Was it the weather? What'd you see? So, I noticed just kind of going going back after I'd obviously um, t- had some time to think about it. Oklahoma did have the wind in its face most of the game, um, which plays some somewhat of a factor in the passing game. Now it wasn't like a a monsoon or 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 hurricane level winds or anything like that, but it was it was enough to to maybe uh, make it a little more difficult, especially with it being wet. But I I do think it comes down to to conservative uh, some of the conservative play calling. And and here was my main issue after going back and watching the game offensively was the continued use and, and i'm going to say that this this is a buzzword for for sooner nation right now so i'm probably just going to send some people into aneurysm fits but um the continued use of jet sweeps the continued use of of screens uh lateral pass plays um throughout the game was frustrating because i know if you're using those types of, of plays and the defense is playing zero coverage, no safeties back because they know you're not going to throw the football deep. That's a problem. And it's a, that, that at, at its core, that's a, that's a problem that I mean, junior high coaches, no, you don't you those things, those, you don't just run those plays individually without using some sort of downfield, passing concept to to keep defenses honest that's that's just that that's the game of football and so i know jeff levy 
isn't an idiot. I know that he is one of the better offensive minds uh, in college football, and we we've seen him call games that way. I mean, the game that he called against Texas earlier this year, I would argue, is is probably one of, if not his best performances as a play caller. Uh, and that was right off of, of them play, calling a really good game against Iowa State defense that hadn't given up 50 points in, in a long time. So you don't have to go that far back uh, to see some really good balance with this team. I honestly, my, my, my two cents on it is I think they got really cute with some things uh, in install maybe during the off week. And to me, you know, it, it does look like this team is starving for a downfield threat, but Nick Anderson had opportunities in this game that just never found their way to him. That pick uh, six. Yes. He was open I mean, on that pick six. Correct. Yeah. There, there's, and there were other plays after that where, you know, he, he's in one-on-one coverage and that's a guy 100%. That's a guy that you're going to take one-on-ones with. Uh, you're going to, you're going to trust him to make the play. Jaden Gibson didn't even have a target in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brennan Thompson, obviously healthy enough why why is he not that that's a guy that's going to cause any defense problems with the speed he brings to the field and so i think i my two cents on it i think jeff levy just lost himself i i think he lost himself i think he froze in the moment uh this game was probably a little closer than they wanted to be in the second half uh yes the offense was was doing well with uh you know with running the ball but i think this is just one of those times where he overthought it uh, and with Brent Venables seemingly giving him full reign on what to do offensively, I think that there was probably a need this week for a conversation like, uh, you know, hey, let's let's get our let's get the football in our playmakers' hands again. Let's not forget uh, what got us here, and that's Dylan Gabriel distributing the ball to the playmakers that have emerged uh, in the receiving room, and and there's several of them. So. Andrew Anthony being out, sure that plays a part of it, but I, I still think there's plenty of playmakers there for for Dylan Gabriel to to have this offense rolling again. So um, they just got to get over it, and move on. Well, I think you know I I was diving through the numbers of you know even some of the basic stuff like average yards per completion. I was looking. I mean, you look at you know sixteen point two you know against Arkansas State, fifteen against Tulsa, twelve point four against Cincinnati, fourteen against Iowa State, twelve point four against Texas. Last week against UCF, 10.1 yards per completion, which is the second lowest on the season after SMU, which was, I think at the time, kind of seen as a throwaway game. But I actually think some of the problems we saw in that SMU game have actually kind of come to life the last Mm -hmm. two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, On Saturday, Dylan Gabriel averaged 12.2 yards per completion. But if you take out that 39-yard completion to Brandon Thompson, that was really an incredible throw. It was vastly underthrown. And Brendan Thompson made a, a great catch on it. If you take out that catch that came out with 30 seconds to go, it drops to 10.2. So again, think about it as yeah. two of the two of the last three weeks in terms of lowest yards per completion. It's it's these it's these last two weeks and it's not even close. Well, and I would even say, you know, a lot of people probably don't know this, but Brett Lashley, the head coach at SMU, um, I believe he played quarterback for uh for Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Um, I play and, and was with him there, uh, for a couple of years. And so they obviously talked about they, they want getting into that game. There, there was probably some, some times where those two really, uh, shared some thoughts and, and obviously as Parker said in our last podcast, you don't really run a whole lot of things past Lance Leipold. So if he sees tendencies, he's going to attack them as any good coach would. 
And uh, obviously there's some things that, uh, that, that Dylan Gabriel and or Jeff Levy obviously struggle with that um, have been noticed. And so you just have to adapt and move. So here's the thing. And here's the weird thing about all of this is that as much as there were issues with the offense, again, you kind of mentioned why is, you know, why is Brendan Thompson not getting much run? Why is Javante Barnes not seeing the field at all since the Tulsa game and then seeing carries in the fourth quarter? I know Tawi Walker was hurt, but uh, here's the thing. OU still finished with 440 total yards. They still scored 33 points. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you look at the other side of the ball with Oklahoma's defense. Kansas had 443 yards of offense, so they outgained Oklahoma just barely. And they scored 38 points. And to me, Brian, I think not only just in terms of trying to recap that game, but trying to look forward, if there's been one consistent thing, even the turnovers against UCF, that was the first game that they had not grabbed at least two or more turnovers. The one thing that has carried with this defense is is their rushing defense. That's the one thing that's been consistent all year. Mm -hmm. Even against a really good UCF rushing attack, they limited the Knights to 3.6 yards per carry. They did not do a good job of limiting Kansas's rushing attack. I mean, 225 yards, 5.5 yards per carry, 41 attempts. Uh, the, the Kansas rushing attack was routinely getting whatever they wanted. And, you know, I think even Danny Stutzman, his, his injury in the second half certainly didn't help. But by halftime, Kansas had 124 rushing yards. They were averaging over six yards a carry. So it's not like... Stutzman's injury was the one that that is the thing that changed everything. So it's like even with all the mistakes that OU made, that's almost the biggest concern for me is, yeah, you can look at the penalties and there were mm-hmm. some bad ones. You look at the offensive play calling. There were some head-scratching decisions to me. If you're looking ahead to this Oklahoma State game, what's the thing that concerns me most? It's that Kansas was simply the most – was the more physical team up front. They beat Oklahoma's defensive line, particularly on the interior, and the Kansas ball carriers had – had places to run. I mean, is that kind of what you saw? Yeah. Um, before I jump into that, I think I, I think I said Rhett Lashley played quarterback for Gus Malzahn. I, he coached quarterbacks for Gus yeah. Malzahn. It. So want to get that disclaimer out. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that, and that showed up in uh, the tackles for loss stat. It was a season low for tackles for loss for Oklahoma. They only had three on the day. Um, and it also, again, I, I think I, kind of started to allude to this earlier and got away from it because I, I tend to just chase rabbits, but um, the, the aggressiveness defensively, the tackling, it, it just wasn't there. Um, and that starts up front because it does, it did feel like guys were more concerned with where they needed to be lined up um, or, you know, what was going on. I think the, all that pre-snap motion eventually just kind of wore them down physically um, and, and mentally. And so, I I am concerned about that as well. Um, Ollie Gordon is is not a guy that you can give extra chances. Uh, he, uh, I mean, it seems like every time you turn on Sports Center on a Saturday, the last few weeks he's he's seventy five yards down the sideline and and going to score and and that he's a one cut guy that can do that. Um, so Oklahoma's defense th- this is a this is a gut check week for them. Um, they have been able to I be- I believe going into last week I think they were. 33rd nationally in rush defense. Um, last week's uh, performance dropped them to 52nd nationally. Um, and, you know, yeah, Kansas Kansas is a good running football team, uh, but there there's no excuse to be the second most physical um, team on the field when you're playing Kansas. I know what Lance Leipold has, has done there, and, and that's a, 
it's a really good uh, trajectory he has them on, but this is a team that that supposedly hung its hat on on physicality and was more physical than Texas just a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and that's a Texas team that went into Tuscaloosa and was more physical than Alabama. So it's, you know, I know that transitive property isn't really a thing in college football. Um, but as far as, as what Oklahoma needs to do, they need to refine, they need to rekindle that physicality. Um, the, the guys on the interior, the defensive line that have been difference makers in past games, like Isaiah Coe and Dejon Terry, you need to see those guys emerge again as as guys that are that are being disruptive in the run game um that just wasn't the case last week and it was really it had to be frustrating for for Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis because it did seem like the defensive line was just gradually going up and up and up and up every week and then UCF it fell and then it just plummeted against uh, against Kansas so um yeah long story short you, you've got to be more physical than you were last week, regardless of how cold it was or whatever the heck the problem was. Um, you can't play like that again because you've got Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and BYU coming up, and all three of those teams are are you know notoriously physical. Let's. I think my overall takeaway with everything you just said, Brian, is look, OU shot themselves in the foot. They absolutely did, but the way they shot themselves in the foot led to some Texas or led to some Kansas success, but in other ways, Kansas just beat up Oklahoma. And I think that was disappointing to see that. I think you would have thought Oklahoma had the advantage on both sides of the ball um, in terms of the line of scrimmage. So I think the takeaway now is really, it is just one loss and look, Oklahoma sits at seven and one. There's a lot of goals still ahead of them, but I think when we were looking at that Texas win and we were thinking about projecting forward, I don't know how many people looked at Oklahoma State. Now, all of a sudden, Brian, Oklahoma State is simply playing almost like the best team in the Big 12 right now. And so you move into, you've got all of this off the field stuff. I mean, this is, the this is I don't know if this is going to be the last bedlam. Uh, it's certainly going to be the last bedlam between both teams as Big 12 opponents. That is what we know for sure. And the likelihood of this game being added to the schedule in the next five to 10 years minimum is unlikely. It's just incredibly unlikely. Um, you know, this is a it's going to be a two thirty kickoff on Saturday on ABC. There's a lot of narratives here, but I think the biggest thing, and we can talk about the last bedlam stuff later. I think the main thing we need to talk about is kind of what Brent Venable or Brent Venable said this in his opening statement on Tuesday. He said people wrote them off, wrote the Cowboys off after that loss to South Alabama and those early struggles, but over the last five weeks really but over the last four they've won four in a row they not only have bounced back they look like a real threat mm-hmm. and this is what we said before kansas last week oh if you play like you did against ucf you will get beat against kansas we said that if you play like you did against kansas oklahoma state will beat up oklahoma and laugh while they do, and laugh while they do it mm-hmm. there's nothing that stillwater crowd would love more than to send OU on the on their way to the sec with a big old l yeah. so when we're looking at what Oklahoma state is doing really well, we'll talk about Ollie Gordon a little bit, but what is, I mean, you kind of do coverage of the big 12 as a whole for Heartland. Did, was there any indications that this kind of surge from Oklahoma state was coming? I mean, I know they were doing some weird three quarterback stuff. Ollie Gordon wasn't getting a lot of touches. Mm-hmm. Was there any way that anybody could have predicted this? 
I don't think so. I think everybody was ready to write them off after they lost to South Alabama. And, and I mean, it wasn't like a, it wasn't just a loss. Like, Oh no. I mean, it was, it was 33 to seven. It was lopsided. It did not look good. It was on their home turf. Um, but I go back to, I go back to uh, some questions being asked of Mike Gundy following that game. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that they didn't have any big problems. You know, there weren't any major problems. There weren't any majors, I think is exactly how he said it. And people laughed at him. Correct. And I was one of them. I was like, what do you mean? You just lost to South Alabama. I mean, by you were blown out. So uh, what do you mean? Um, You can't just write off a 26-point loss to to a Sunbelt Conference team. And apparently he was right. Uh, he's again, this is another one of those instances where I'm like, okay, well, obviously Mike Gundy knows what the hell he's doing. I'm going to quit questioning about it because he's still here. He's got his team, uh, yet again, set up to, to go to a bowl game at the very least. And he's, he's got them right in the midst of, of, uh, uh, being right there in the big 12 championship. Uh, if they win this game, they win this game, I, I think. Guarantee, I would almost guarantee that they're in the Big 12 championship. They've got, I think, BYU, UCF, and uh, Houston, I think, are the next three. I don't know what order, U- but UCF, um, then Houston, then BYU. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, those, no offense to any of those teams, but Oklahoma State, the way that they're playing right now, they should be able to win those games. So, um, I, I think the turnaround, you just one, you have to tip your hat to, to what Mike Gundy does. Um, he just finds a way. Uh, obviously, Ollie Gordon has been the the driving force there, but um, the way that I, I guess what I would describe uh, defensively for them, if you remember, sometimes it just felt like even statistically, I know how bad the Alex Grinch defenses were for Oklahoma, uh, you know, under under Lincoln Riley, but it, it did seem like every once in a while. The, op- the word opportunistic would come up where they did just enough. They did just enough to win. They they got a team off the field in the moment that they needed to. They stopped the two-point conversion. They, you know, whatever. They they rose to the moment, um, even though they're giving up globs of points. Uh that's kind of that's kind of what this this defense feels like under Brian Nardo. Um it's a it's a really interesting concept and it it almost it probably sounds trivial just to say that they yeah they they don't give up or they give up a bunch of points but they're just good enough that but that's what it is uh, they, they've been able to get off the field uh, i believe they're second nationally in in fourth down conversion uh defense and so they're they're doing good uh getting teams off the field whenever they need to and uh it's it's one of those things that that you just you can't really put it on paper but it shows up on the field if that makes sense um so uh throwing the ball Alan Bowman's he's good enough. He he does exactly what they need him to, but he's not a game breaker. Uh he's he I don't even know that he's top 30 yards running the ball this year. Um so offensively it's really all about Ollie Gordon, but uh defensively they've been just good enough. No, let's let's go into this a little bit more. So, um Oklahoma State, I think a big thing is they are giving up yards, they're giving up points. They have 10 turnovers over the last 4 games. There you go. Or they forced 10 turnovers over the last four games. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds mm-hmm. like Oklahoma's defense. Um, 
But really, all of this is about Ollie Gordon, and there is no shortage. There is no over-exaggerating. This is not uh, flammatory language. This is not over-dramatic. Ollie Gordon simply has been the best running back in college football this year. He just has been. He's yep. just been the best running back. And it's kind of remarkable that it took this coaching staff so long to realize that he was the best guy on this offense. Um, I think he had like single digit carries in each of the first three games. So if you want to know why Oklahoma state was struggling, particularly offensively so much, there's no, there's no other place to look, but there, but Brian, despite not, or despite not really seeing much touches the first three weeks, he leads the NCAA in rushing yards. 1,087. He is on a, over the last five games, he would be on pace to finish with over 2,000 yards just in the regular season. Yep. He's been incredible. He's got 10 touchdowns on the ground. That's, like you said, this is where it starts and ends with Oklahoma State's offense. Um, how confident are you that Oklahoma defensively can limit him. I, I don't think you're going to be able to stop him enough. I think the hope is you're going to be you. You got to be able to limit him and put some of the put some of the weight on out on Alan Bowman. Can Oklahoma do that? I think so. Um, I'm gonna the comparison I'm gonna draw is Jonathan Brooks. Uh, the guy you know, obviously Texas is starting running back. He ranks fourth nationally in, in, uh, total yards, uh, rushing. He's nine, uh, let's see, I think nine, nine twenty three. I believe is what he's sitting at. So, um, he ended up with 129 yards on a score against Oklahoma, but those, you know, he wasn't able to help them sustain drives throughout the game. Um, a lot, you know, one of those came on, I believe a 30 yard touchdown, uh, against the Sooners late. And so, what you really need to do is uh, Oklahoma needs to see its tackles for loss go back up there where they were uh, in this game. You really need to see Oklahoma getting back there in the defense uh, the, into the backfield and really disrupting the rhythm of, of what Oklahoma state does. Uh, they don't do a whole lot. I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a detriment or, or a dig at, at what Oklahoma state does, but it's pretty basic. It, they they really don't do a whole lot of window dressing. Um, they just kind of line up and, and run run the football at you, and and they've been better than the other guys. They've been more physical than the other teams up front um, over the last several games. So I think Oklahoma can slow him down. Now, what does that mean? Um, I I don't expect I don't expect Oklahoma to hold him under 100 yards. I, I just don't because the, they're going to hand him the ball 30 or 35 times. Um, I think that he will inevitably at least have a, you know, one or two good runs. I, I think what you have to do is limit the uh, effectiveness play to play. Um, at the end of the day, he's going to get his, uh, this is truly a guy that is, he's playing better than anybody else in the country at this point. The fact that he's not a Heisman contender uh, right now just shows you how much that's become a, a quarterback's uh, trophy because this is, He's playing incredible right now. He's had back-to-back. There's only one other guy in Oklahoma State history that's had 250 yards on the ground in back-to-back games, and I'll give you one guess who that is. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's Barry Sanders. Yeah, it's the best running back to ever play the game. So I, I just – you've got to slow him down. You're not going to stop him. And if you can slow him down, I, I think that that's got to be the key here. Uh, 
slowing a guy down is, is also, you've got to have the mentality to do it, right? You have to be able, you can't let the continual hits, you can't let those things get you down in the dumps as a defense. You, you have to be able to maintain when it, when he does bust one, you cannot let that be something that continues to build. I think we've seen Jaron Canick in particular struggle with things kind of, um, avalanche or snowballing, I guess would be the best way of putting it on him, uh, late in games. And this is one of those, op- one, this is one of those times where you're going to have to, you know, just play for the next play. You've got to put that behind you and, and get back in the game. And so that's going to be key for Oklahoma. And, and I think that they can do that. It's just a matter of, of, will they do it? Last two games for Ollie Gordon, 29 carries for 282 yards and four touchdowns against West Virginia. 25 carries, 271 yards, and two touchdowns against Cincinnati, a team that OU notoriously struggled to run against. They struggled to run against Cincinnati. Uh, uh, Ollie Gordon dropped a a casual 271, averaged 10.8 yards per carry. Uh, Over his last five games, he's averaging over eight yards per carry. He's had six touchdowns in his last two games. This is – Jonathan Brooks is really good. Um you know, uh, Kansas's running backs were really good. UCF had some good ball carries. They're not Ollie Gordon. They're just not. Ollie Gordon has been that good. That's really what it comes down to is can Oklahoma do just enough? Because like you said, it's, it's you know, UCF and Kansas did a lot of trickery. They did a lot of weird formations. They did a lot of pre-snap movements. You're not going to get that from Oklahoma State. This is really going to come down to can Oklahoma's defensive line get a push? And can Jaron Kanick and Danny Stutzman, if he's healthy, we don't know for sure he's going to play. Um, Kip Lewis, Desan McCullough, can those guys make an impact? And then OU offensively, I think the the good news for Oklahoma is that if there's been anywhere where Oklahoma State's defense has struggled, it's it's passing, mm-hmm. uh, the defending the pass. They're ninetieth. They're ninetieth in defending the pass. They're giving up uh, almost two hundred forty yards a game. They're giving up over thirteen and a half yards per carry, and. You know, this could be exactly what the doctor ordered in terms of OU struggles, you know, passing the ball vertically uh, the last two weeks. But to me, Brian, I think we've seen enough to say that, I mean, OU is going to need to do stuff uh, through the air. They're absolutely going to need to do that. But I think this comes down to is Tawi Walker healthy? Can he play? Because OU's other running backs simply have not proven that they can consistently gain yardage, especially not like, not like Tawi Walker can, but I mean, is this a game where you think it's got to be a Tawi Walker, hopefully running the show? Um, or is this a, we're, we're going to need Dylan Gabriel. Oklahoma's going to need Dylan Gabriel to, to, to make some plays down the field. Also Oklahoma state 101st in rushing defense. Yeah. So feels like Oklahoma, there's some, yeah. there's some ways to attack this defense. Yeah. And that was going to be my first point is, is Oklahoma state's given up 400, uh, they're giving up four and a half yards of rush and, and 170 uh, yards a game on the ground. And so, you know, if Tawi Walker was struggling to get back in the game against Kansas in a game that was, you know, I mean, he was having a career, a career day and it was, it was a game that wasn't decided yet. I just, especially with it being an ankle, I have a really hard time believing he's going to be a hundred percent come Saturday. I mean, that's, you know, a week's not very long in, in the scheme of things, whenever you're, you're still, you're still trying to practice and you're still trying to, to stay on top of things. Um, 
I'll say I'll say it this way. Dylan Gabriel showed against Texas what he's able to do with his feet. And I think that that has to be something that Oklahoma really dials back into this week. Um, he needs to be a threat uh, running the football. Um, I'll also say that it's really hard for me to know what Gavin Sawchuck may or may not have done last week because he only had six carries. Um, Saw fewer ro- snaps than Javante. Yeah. Javante I mean, the, the rotation, I can't even really call it a rotation. It's, it's just been a, it's, it's been incredibly difficult to, to put a finger on to this point. So um, I think there's going to be opportunities for Oklahoma's offense in this game. Uh, I think that there's going to be opportunities downfield as well. I mean, Oklahoma state's given up uh, 17 passing touchdowns this season, which is, uh, you know, ties for the most in the big 12. And so there's, there's going to be opportunities through the, through the passing game. And, and this is the best offense that they're going to have faced to this point. Um, Oklahoma is, is first in the conference and passing yards, passing efficiency, passing touchdowns. I mean, you, you name it through the air, Oklahoma has been that. Um, and, and weather's not going to be an issue in this game. I, I think you've got 10 to 12 mile an hour wins, and it's going to be 68 degrees at kickoff. So there's not any, there's not any excuses this week. Um, it, it's going to be, can they do it? Yes. Will they do it? We don't know. Um, and that's as, as frustrating as that is. That's just been the fact. That's been that's just been how it is uh, last couple of games. So there's going to be opportunities there. Oklahoma just has to capitalize on them. Have you been able to to think about this being? you know, the last bedlam for quite some time. Has that, has that been something you've thought about a lot? Cause the, when you think about it, the, how long this rivalry has gone on, it's a pretty crazy thing. And I know we've known for months that it was coming, but it's, I've been I've watched Bedlam every year since I was a kid. It's a huge mm-hmm. game, even though Oklahoma has dominated it historically. There's still been incredible games. It feels it does not feel like the final bedlam to me. It just does it. It does not feel like I thought it would. Has it felt that way for you? It it was really weird. I sat so as you said, I I I write for for Heartland, um, college sports and and one of the things that I do early in the week is our is previews for the games. And I sat down. My first one, obviously, I went to was Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And I looked it up, and, and these two teams have played in consecutive years all the way back to 1910. They haven't missed. They didn't miss one for World War One. They didn't miss a meeting for World War II. Uh, they didn't miss a me- they they didn't miss any of those. And and now, the thing that's breaking them up is is conference realignment. It is weird. It's really weird, especially being a kid like like you just said. I grew up in Oklahoma. I've got half of my family wears orange on on this Saturday, and the other half wears wears crimson and um, it's, it's just very odd. It doesn't feel right. Uh, and I, and I think that the weight of, of that is something that we won't feel until Saturday night or, or maybe Sunday that, you know, this, this, this is it. This is the last time nor Oklahoma is going to be, uh, in Stillwater for a meeting for, for, for a football game. And, and there's no, there's nothing on the schedule that's going to bring, uh, the Cowboys back to, to Norman. So, um, yeah, it's just a really, really awkward, weird feel. 
It is. It's odd. And that's why, I mean, I think, I, I think that's why Brett Venables responded the way he did when he was kind of asked a similar question on Tuesday. He basically said, there's too much to think about. There's too much to be worried about to be thinking about it being the last bedlam. And, and uh, you know, Brent Venables understands this, this rivalry better than anybody. I mean, he's played in it, you know, I, I think, I think 15 times, yeah. you know, through his, his OU career. But I honestly think part of it, Brian, is I, I think it would feel a little different if Oklahoma was undefeated going into this game. But the reality is they're not. And I also think it would feel different if if Oklahoma State had continued, continued its early season struggles. They haven't. The reality is, as of now, Oklahoma still controls almost, I mean, its own destiny for almost anything. I mean, even coming at number nine in the in the college football playoff rankings, to me, insinuates if they went out and won a Big 12 title, that yeah. a chance at a playoff spot is pretty dang good. Yes. But if they lose, they don't just kiss their their CFP chances goodbye. They, they make it extraordinarily difficult just to get to the Big 12 title game at all. I mean, there is a five-team bunch at the top with four with five teams having a four and one conference record. That's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa, Texas, or Iowa State, Texas, and Kansas State. Also, shout out to Iowa State, who I don't think anybody took seriously coming into the year. They've been really good recently. Um, if Oklahoma State wins this game, Brian, they don't just overtake first place in the conference based on overall record and their head-to-head with um, with Oklahoma. But Oklahoma does not play any of those teams I just listed after this weekend. Yeah. So they're not going to have anything to bank on like, oh, well, we we still play Iowa State. We'll just beat them. Or we, we still got to play Kansas State. We just got to beat them. Nope. They will be completely reliant on so many other things to happen. And I think if Oklahoma were to miss the big 12 title game, especially the way they started the year, but if they were to also lose to Oklahoma state, if Oklahoma state was the one that was able to, you know, to make the big 12 title game, I think all of that would feel pretty disheartening. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, I mean, what, I mean, would it not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I mean, when, the, when this team got to, to six and oh, it was full steam ahead. I mean, like, you know, they, they just beat the number three team in the country. Everybody was, was really excited about what this Oklahoma team looked like. You know, Brent Venables has turned it around and there's all these stories coming out about, you know, uh, I mean, Danny Stutzman gets his time in the spotlight and uh, with his pregame speech and all that stuff. And then, you know, the, the UCF game happens and it's like the, the first sign of, of uh, some uncertainty comes back and then last week after they after they lost to kansas which you know we've said it they haven't done that since 1997 it's i mean it almost feels like we're right back in the preseason right it just there's all these there's all these concerns you know is is has oklahoma hit a wall is this is this where things go south um is this is the staff the right you know or is this the right team to to get things over the hump are they ready for the sec like there's all of these questions this national narrative is back to being what it is and it's uh it, it's tough it's got to be a tough thing to navigate um and and i'll say this the way that the big 12 has played out has has been kind of like a it's been a story that hasn't been talked about enough because as you said, Oklahoma state's playing as one of the best, you know, playing like one of the best teams in the big 12 right now. The other team that has that argument right now is not Texas. It's Kansas state. 
Uh, I mean, Kansas State has looked every bit of the of the preseason contender that everybody thought they would be over the last two weeks. They've outscored their opponents 82 to three. Uh, they've been incredibly dominant against TCU and Houston, um, a Houston team that took can or took Texas to the wire, uh, and, and probably, you know, probably got screwed a little bit in the process. So, um, look, this is, this is, uh, it's, it's coming down to the wire here. You've got five teams at, at four and one in conference play, two teams at three and two, um, and, and they all play each other this week. And so you're going to see a lot of separation. Um, and, and for Oklahoma, this is a must win game. It's an absolute must win game because if you don't win this game, I'm going to be, I'll be the first to say if Oklahoma loses this game, the big 12 championship is Oklahoma state and the winner of Kansas state, Texas. I, that, I mean, I feel pretty confident in saying that. And so, um, you've got to win, you've got to win this game. If you're Oklahoma, if you don't. Again, one loss doesn't define your season. You can still try and find a way of finishing ten and two, and and hope that your name gets called uh, for for a decent bowl game. But I mean, it would be extremely disappointing at this point if Oklahoma was to miss out on the Big Twelve title. I think you said all of it, man. I think the only thing I'll add is that look, beat Oklahoma State this weekend. All this other noise goes away. It doesn't even matter how you do it. You Oklahoma could play the worst game in the history of the program. If they still beat Oklahoma State, all this goes away. All the noise is over. Fans are happy, and you're feeling confident about things moving forward. You lose. Oklahoma loses. The noise gets louder because fans aren't going to care. You could tell them 7-2. and two, Fans aren't going to care, and I don't blame them with the hype that this team had after 6-0. and um, Plus, it brings into concern about even finishing the rest of the season. And I think the one thing, the the last thing I wanted to add was we said after UCF that if if Oklahoma played, if they didn't, if they played like that, they would get beat by Kansas. Oklahoma doesn't have to play that poorly to lose Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State could just beat them. Oklahoma State could just simply beat them. So I like Oklahoma. Oklahoma should have more talent on both sides of the ball, even with Ollie Gordon. Oklahoma has enough to win the battle up front. If they play like they can play and like we saw them play for much of the first six weeks, this is a game they can and should win. But this this game is in Stillwater. There's going to be a lot on the line. Stillwater is always a rowdy environment. It's going to be turned up to a 15 because of all of those last bedlam implications. You don't want to lose this for your season moving forward. You don't want to lose this because it's the last bedlam. You don't want to lose this because you just lost last weekend. There's a lot of reasons why Oklahoma doesn't want to lose this game. You win, all that goes away. Yep. You lose, that always grows louder. You have anything? You have anything else to add? Um, I, just real quick, it's it's uh, it's going to be as you said, it's going to be extremely hostile. Um, I, I, I have a concern with how Oklahoma plays on the road. I know, I know that the the the, the game down in Dallas is half a road game, half a home game. I, I know that that's a unique environment, but the two real road tests you've seen Oklahoma in to this point have been 20 to six at Cincinnati, who is now two and six on the year and what we just saw against Kansas. So I know it's in state. I know that there's going to be some sooner fans there, but you know, this is, this is, this is just, it really is. I've, I've said it a few times this week. It's a gut check time. 
this is this is the week that you look yourself in the mirror if you're if you're the Sooners and you find out what you really have um, because you're you're either going to crumble in this situation or you're going to rise to the occasion and and that's there's no two ways about it so um, you got to win this one there's no other choice you've got to win this one couldn't have said it better I can't can't imagine can't believe we're here I can't believe Oklahoma State has recovered the way they have I can't believe. Oklahoma is in a must-win situation given the way things stood three weeks ago. But that's why, you know, college football, the way it works week to week, so many things can change. And the and after everything we just said, the thing that is most simple is this is, like you said, it's a must-win game. It just is. Oklahoma has to win this game. Brian, I think that's going to do it for us here on this latest installment of the Oklahoma Drill uh, everybody, you can find new episodes of this podcast between Brian and I. You can find them every Thursday on our OU Insider YouTube channel or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're not a VIP member over at OUinsider.com, you should ha- you should go ahead and head on over there. You're going to get content from myself, from Brian, from our recruiting guys, Parker and Brandon, about all things Oklahoma sports, all things Oklahoma football, basketball season's about to be underway, softball's in the midst of of its fall season. There's plenty of things going on, plenty of recruiting nuggets too. And if nothing else, you can always head to this YouTube channel right here. We've got stuff coming out throughout the week. Me and Parker's quick slants videos, uh, Brian's coach Clinton field vision videos, the under the, the under the advisor uh, podcast with Parker and Brandon, our post game podcasts um, with the four of us staff members. There's, there's so many things you can, you can follow here. If you, if you like and subscribe this YouTube channel If nothing else, Brian, Let's get ready for a crazy weekend. I hope everybody listening is ready for a crazy weekend as well. Have a good one.